Well, let me tell you something. Valentine's Day is no joke. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we assign our guests a year and they choose one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year for us to talk about. I did that, even though I knew I was going to turn around and say, but not today. Yep, not today. Not that, though. We're doing something different. Yeah. So, this is our traditional Valentine's Day special, which we tend to call My Bloody Valentine's Day, where we take a focus on shoegaze bands. Because, honestly, shoegaze, I feel like, is not that far away from punk, as far as, you know, if you trace the lineage back and the approach to releasing music and all that kind of stuff. Like, it feels very DIY punkish, and you know, until it blows up, of course. But we never really get a chance to talk about them on the show, so this is our yearly shoegaze recognition. Before we get to that, though, you can head over to our Patreon, where this week we are doing a starting five, and we came up with a fun little uh, gimmick for that one, too. Uh, instead of, because we didn't choose from a specific year... We had to come up with a slightly different rubric for the starting five. And uh, you said, we're playing horse. Yeah, with the word heart. Yeah, we're playing heart. So basically, the rule is uh, we take an album with the first letter corresponding with each letter in heart. So there's five letters in heart. So we each picked a record that starts with H, one that starts with E, one that starts with A, and so on and so forth. It's, so. it's kind of like the... Uh, it's kind of like the build your dream uh show with the letters of your name yeah yeah uh, the twitter game that people like to play so yeah so you know head over to the patreon that's patreon.com slash punk pod you can check that out that's all of our bonus audio for one dollar you can ask it get access to our polls and playlists and blog posts and pretty much anything we post there i've also been toying with the idea of doing a short five to ten minute weekly new music roundup on Fridays. Uh, I haven't quite figured out the um, specifics on what I'm going to do with that, but I've been thinking about it today. So it would just be like me doing something with all the records I listen to on Friday, usually. We'll see. If anybody likes that idea, let me know. We're on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Punk Pod. The Facebook's just there to have it. I rarely post through it, but it's there. Weirdly, people message us a lot through there. Yeah, Facebook is one of those things you have to have it so that someone doesn't go make a fake (laughs) one of your band or podcast or whatever, and then, like, message people inappropriate things. Yeah. Did we get turned into an NFT, or was that only bands? I'm pretty sure it's just bands. Yeah. I haven't seen any podcasts talking about it. Oh, NFT talk. (laughs) Uh, We have an email address, it's punkladopod at gmail.com, and a voicemail. So, we actually have a new voicemail. We're continuing the Madball saga, as it were. Uh, so, our Madball caller has uh, given, <laughs> didn't really appreciate our uh, laughing at him last week. So, uh, he called in again and <laughs> left us another message. So, uh, we'll, uh, let's all listen to that here and see what he's got to say now. Hey, podcasters. So, you think this is all big fun and games. It's a big joke. You like to laugh, you like to giggle, you like to have a sensible chuckle. You know what I think is funny? 
me standing over your corpses with all types of blood gushing out of you. That's fucking comedy. That's Paula Poundstone stuff to me. So you better watch your backs. Stop talking shit. I'm going to kiss you like I kiss my children with my fucking fists. Madball! Kiss your chil- <laughs> Kiss you like I kiss my children with my fists. Really dark one. Yeah. Corpses involved blood, in this one. Blood gushing out everywhere. But, you know, he let he lightened it with Paula Poundstone stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, all right. I don't know. Uh, where are we going to meet? Where are we going? What deli you want? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a mystery madball caller. Yeah, I, it's, that's, that's gold. That's what we do this show for. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to call us and leave us a threatening voicemail, that is 202-688-PUNK. And uh, we welcome all all the angry Madball fans to call us and tell us what they think. Um, yeah. Any who else have we talked shit about? Uh, SSD. Yeah. Oh uh, God. Somebody give Al our phone number. Yeah. Give Al Barreal our phone number. <laughs> oh God. Please don't. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't. I wonder that. if he's still modifying that one post that he made. All right. I don't want to say too much about him because he might find it. So. Yep. Um, <laughs> been hate listening this to this show. Two years. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's the voicemail. Uh, that's all the plugs, I think. So, hmm, let's see. How should we do this? How should we do this? So, we wound up choosing the album we're talking about today by using uh, our poll on our Patreon. And we actually had a couple albums up for choice, up for grabs. The idea was we took the, we called them the Big Five which we later discovered that that may not actually be accurate for one of the bands, but regardless, uh, we took five albums. It was the first five albums by the the big the big five. So that was My Bloody Valentine's Isn't Anything, Swerve Driver's Rays, Rides Nowhere, and Slow Dives Just for a Day. Uh, the winner was Spooky by Lush. And, um, you know, we... <sighs> I didn't realize how big Lush were as far as... I don't know, maybe current listening? I don't know. They were actually pretty big. They were big then. Yeah. Yeah. I th- they were big then, and I think they've stayed pretty important uh, in terms of people who go back and listen to the old Shoegaze records. And um, yeah, that's a. I think we had. I think that maybe our misconception about Swerve Driver being among the. And we initially, I think we both, and we've maybe talked about this before, we felt like Swerve Driver was one of the big four. Um, which I guess, I think maybe looking at it, most people, most people would really only say big five, big three, uh, yeah. technically speaking. Yeah. I think most people consider it to be my bloody Valentine ride, uh, and slow dive as the big three. Those are the ones that are, there's really no dispute about. Like those are just the, yeah, the biggest ones. So, but I, I think that swerve driver maybe snuck into our big four because of, I think that they were maybe more influential to bands that we like more specifically than being really important in shoegaze. Yeah, because it seems like if you really look at the other bands that put records out that are under the shoegaze tag around this time, like even like the Catherine Wheel or Chapter House probably have more like regular listeners than Swerve Driver do. I don't know. I think 
There is also something to do with a lot of Swerve Driver's material wasn't available on like Spotify and some other streaming services. So that may have hurt their kind of numbers on that site. But then I even went to Last FM to try and figure it out there. And even then, it's still, they're still one of the lower ones. So yeah, I mean, I guess it probably is just the big three is what it is overall. But Lush, Lush is way up there though. Yeah, I mean, I love Swerve Driver and I think they're one of the cooler bands of that style. So that's partly why I wanted to talk about them but you know we wound up with lush and uh so the record came out in 1992 and we decided just to give a little context for the type of music that was coming out at that time we're not going to do like a specific shoegaze uh chart for that year because it'd probably be like 10 15 records but yeah so 1992 what was going on tell tell us what the story of 1992 is 92 is i guess the important stuff grunge Mm-hmm. Um, Rage Against the Machines self-titled. Um, there's some pretty significant indie rock kind of stuff. I- interestingly, and I think maybe rele- uh, relevant to the record that we're talking about, Cure- The Cure have a m- big record that year, like with like major singles on it, which has always struck me as a weird thing that doesn't make sense for 1992. <laughs> All around, I think that popular music in general and independent music even everything is heavy and alternative sounding or like really dancey like i think the pop stuff the most pop stuff from 92 is like very very dance oriented i don't know but then you also have like pavements slanted enchanted and rem's automatic for the people so there's your kind of but yeah yeah like yeah big big alternative uh, bands with crossover and Sonic Youth's Dirty, but yeah, even the other people. There's like Tori Amos, P.J. Harvey, Nick Cave. Like even that type of music was kind of dark. Yeah, I think by '92, uh, there's a there's a certain sense of authenticity. I think it's a little bit of a post grunge thing. It's a post alt rock kind of thing where people are wanting to have like kind of less less produced sounding re- records yeah i mean you have to you have to assume that nirvana t- played a part in that you know uh, yeah and i mean and, and just general like burnout on like the, all of those 80s sounds that were like so aggressively just all over everything like everything had 80s production throughout <laughs> the 80s and then it just stops like everyone was just like turn off that gated reverb <laughs> Except for the shoegaze bands, then they did weird things with gated reverb. <laughs> I guess we could mention the the shoegaze stuff that did come out that year, just to give a little idea. Uh, Ride released "Going Blank Again," which is their second album. Sellout. <clears throat> Sellout. That's the. I mean, that's the pop record. That's. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> um, Catherine Wheel put out "Ferment." That's their first record yeah there's a curve record is curve important probably no yeah not really i mean they're there they kind of remind me like i don't know they're not one of the big ones i guess but like you know like medicine being another band i feel like medicine are more important not for shoegaze but i also don't know what it is (laughs) that they're important for (laughs) don't they have a lot of electronic stuff in their music too um i'm not too familiar yeah, me either. 
the the shoegaze stuff from this year other than like ride and lush that i most often see people talk about um like that Catherine Wheeler record i think in recent years it has been it has been a sort of a popular there's been kind of a popular reevaluation of bands like pale saints um and drop 19s uh, who both have significant records that came out this year that i have seen people talk about um they they were kind of bands that didn't really make an impact back then but people have gone back and listened to those records and been like hey these are actually great these are these are some of the better shoegaze records from this time period from the from the post you know 9091 era of shoegaze kind of the second wave i guess what is the peak shoegaze time frame is it 88 to 92 like i think 90 is kind of the most significant because you have ride um you have well let's see it it kind of is in in succession from like 89 to i'm trying to figure out what happened or did it what was the shift you know like what was the shift away from shoegaze what was the next was that Britpop? yeah definitely i mean yeah i mean baggy and rip pop kind of are are kind of simultaneous kind of coming from the same scene um yeah 90, 91 is probably the the peak year because that's when loveless came out just for a day by slow dive um a credit to Swerve Driver being maybe considered one of the big four. Rays came out in ninety one. Uh Chapter House put out Whirlpool in ninety one. So that that's kind of the peak and then ninety two I think is where the the stragglers come in and then by ninety three we're getting into either going like slow dive going almost almost a post rock band or everyone else going in more rock and pop directions. Yeah, because when you pull shoegaze for that year like you get you get stuff like yeah you get souvlaki which is probably i wonder if souvlaki is kind of like the the final key shoegaze record the mezcal head by swerve driver also came out in 93 yeah and chrome by Catherine wheel but again getting very rocky and more pop pop oriented yeah it does does seem that those are the biggest shoegaze records that year and then like that's kind of does make me wonder, did the Jangle Pop take over for him? I guess there was a little bit of that, right? Oh, oh. Here it is. 94, definitely maybe Oasis. Yeah. So that's the oh. next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. yeah. And what year was, um, that was 91, Bandwagon-esque. That took a big, that was a bigger deal in the UK than in the states i think but yeah okay i guess too like <sighs> grunge was doing its thing and yeah so Britpop's the next wave after shoegaze really so that makes that makes sense why not not to be confused with like the earlier like stone roses type you know that wave of yeah i, I mean it what Britpop is I, I mean Britpop is kind of just like a summation of of sounds that go back to the Smiths. I mean, it's like it's the Smiths and that jangle pop stuff of the eighties. And then like, then you bring in like the alternative dance and the Madchester kind of stuff. And then you kind of boil that down to basically doing the Beatles again. Um, <laughs> just trying to reinvent the British invasion. Oh, here's what happened in 93 radiohead Pablo honey. Mm-hmm. 
That's what 93 was. Okay. Well, and then, yeah, I mean, so that that's kind of a current, too, is, like, Americans start trying to kind of approximate shoegaze, too, because we, we get some Yola Tango records. Um, you get, I mean, the first Starfly record's, like, 94. Um, I mean, Band of Susans was kind of always there, but I almost chalk Band of Susans up to being kind of like a, a lateral thinking like a railroad time kind of thing coming from coming from like no wave and uh like the new york and yeah stuff and then i mean also sonic youth also is kind of along the same lines you wouldn't really call them shoegaze but they definitely have their similarities i pulled up uh Britpop for 92 and i got that band james in spiral carpets and the soup dragons so like that's kind of i guess that's what the next bigger wave is like the bands that spin off of that sound, but yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Now, I just wanted to get a little bit of a like a, a context for this record to kind of see where it fits in the grander scheme of shoegaze and what shoegaze means in '92. But uh, let's move into the actual record. So, you voted, and we are talking about "Spooky" by Lush. Lush are from London, England. They formed in 1987. This was released January 27th, 1992 on 4AD, making last week the 30th anniversary of this record. Weird timing on our <laughs> our part again. I didn't really see any write-ups on uh, Lush Spooky, though, but I don't know. Maybe I don't follow Spin closely enough. <laughs> yeah, it's a significant anniversary. Um, poor record I think people should talk about. I I don't know. I think people care more about 25th than they do 30th. So that's probably, there were probably more stuff being written in five years ago about it, but you know, it's funny. This is their first full length album. Uh, prior to this, they released a mini LP called Scar. Uh, it's only six tracks long, but I consider it an EP. Yeah. Uh, it was released on as an LP, but it's just because it was too long for a seven inch. They had a series of EPs also released in 91. And then there's a compilation called gala, which has like a bunch of the EPs clicked together, which that is how a lot of people in the U S found the band. The person on this record is Steve Rippon on bass, Chris Ackland on drums, Emma Anderson and Mickey Bereni on guitar and vocals. And the record was produced by Robin Guthrie of the Cocteau twins. So feelings on lush prior to listening to this record. Yeah, we've talked about Lush before. We talked about them on, on a Shoegaze special. Uh, we talked about an EP, um, one of their later EPs. Yeah, it was right? Reunion. Yeah. 
Blind um, Spot, their 2016 EP. Yeah. Um, I have listened to a considerable, considerable chunk of their discography. I've listened to Scar, their first EP. I have listened to this record before. I've listened to uh, their follow-up, Split, from 94. So I'm I'm fairly familiar with Lush. They're not a band that I've listened to a ton, but I have listened to a good bit and really enjoyed it. So they're they're a band that I like, just not a band I listen to a ton. Have you heard this album before? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, my my feelings on them are yeah we discussed them on a previous My Bloody Valentine's Day. Uh, it was their comeback record. So I remember listening to that EP at that time and thinking like, wow. I should listen to this band more. And I can't say if I did or didn't go check out any of the other records. There's a possibility I listened to one or two of them, but I it's been a couple of years, I think, since we did that EP, and I don't really remember. I don't think I've listened to this album before. I think I think li- listening to that EP and doing that episode where we talked about them before, I pretty quickly followed up on listening to Split. Because um, I have kind of like... A memory of sitting in the Taco Bell parking lot in Phoenix uh, listening to this record. And it was like probably like February or March because it wasn't like miserably hot. I guess I wouldn't consider this Taco Bell music. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I do. I think I'll always associate Split with Taco Bell because of that. <laughs> um, like I always I associate that Sonderbombs record from last year with sitting in eating Taco Bell in the parking lot. That's a common theme. That Well, that was a common theme in Phoenix for me, was <laughs> sitting in the parking lot eating Taco Bell and listening to something. <laughs> uh, there's a couple records that probably are Taco Bell records. Um, Feed the Beat. <laughs> Mine is um, now going to be uh, sitting in the my college uh, parking lot eating KFC Beyond Nuggets <laughs> to whatever I'm listening to. <laughs> oh, this is totally Beyond Nuggets music. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I, I had never listened to this record prior to this. Um, so re- revisiting it with the critical ear that we're we're applying to some of our rec- some of our records, what'd you think of this one? Um, I liked it a lot. Um, like I said, I've listened to this one before. I think I was listening to this one. This one's a nighttime record because mm-hmm. the first time I listened to this one, I was driving at night. We were going somewhere. Oh, it was right before the pandemic. It was literally like right before the pandemic. <laughs> um, and then I listened to it again this week, uh, last night actually coming home from work. So this is definitely a nighttime record. Very fitting. I really liked this record. I wouldn't say that I love it. I think out of the big shoegaze debut records that we could have talked about, this one might be second to last place. Whoa. What's last? My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. Isn't anything as good? And it definitely deserves to be talked about when people talk about My Bloody Valentine, especially considering people have like overexposed Loveless. But <laughs> yeah. I think My not, Bloody Valentine's overexposed anyway. Um, I don't know. I'd, I mean, if we're doing that, this might be my second favorite out of those five. I don't know. So listening to this record, um, <clears> I guess I guess I wound up liking it a little more than you. I I really liked it i thought it was a great record i don't know if it's I, listening to it I, I get now why people are like yeah lush they're one of the best it's like oh yeah they are 
<laughs> they have like this they have a sense of pop to their stuff that maybe it's more of like a post-punk influence which i feel like you really hear that on like the bass work on this record but like swerve driver is just very much like hell yeah listen to that guitar like that's kind of my main thing with them and i like slow dive but they're almost too dreamy yeah i was gonna say i should amend that i would put this one in the middle i would put i would say my bottom two are my bloody valentine and slow dive um slow dive they're really good when you can when you can focus on it Mm -hmm. but it's really easy to lose it it's really easy to lose focus and just be like i'm not getting anything out of this there are moments on spooky that are like that and that's why maybe I wouldn't say I love this record. Yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed... This record has hooks, too, that are kind of missing on some of the other shoegaze bands. Uh, it's like... I think having the two singers, the two guitarists and singers, gives them something... I mean, I slow dive, they technically do that, too, don't they? But I don't know. There, there's a, a little bit more pop to them. Interestingly, though, like so Robin Guthrie did the production on this, and it got really criticized at the time. People were like, you just made Lush sound like Cocteau Twins. Because they did, they do, there's a lot more like wall of sound to this. I checked out Scar just to see what people were saying. And that record is a little more scrappy, a little bit more lower production value. Yeah, <clears throat> the the thing that hits me on listening to this record is that it's more focused. And I think that's a good thing in terms of like, they really do kind of hone in on one particular sound and and keep it pretty consistent through the record um, in a way that their earlier material doesn't. But there is something that's kind of fun and exciting about the earlier material where it's like they're drawing from different places. There's stuff that's definitely more post-punk and there's some stuff that's kind of surfy. And then there's kind of some dreamy stuff. And so there's, there's more variety prior to this record. The Guthrie production on this record is pretty distracting to me. It does sound like he want. I, I have seen people say this um, that he wanted that he was frustrated with the direction that Cocteau Twins was going, and that he wanted to keep it in his like that sound that they had been doing forever. Um, so he just kind of like forced that production onto this record. I don't know. It. I don't know if it was like he insisted or if they wanted him to do that it does sound like it does sound like to me that they were like oh we want we're really influenced by the cocteau twins we want to go work with the guy from cocteau twins and have him make us sound like them that i don't think i don't think that this record benefits from maybe i don't have the frame of reference for their later records but in my head this is what their later stuff sounds like so uh, isn't it I feel like the next record probably has more in common with this one than that one does to the first one, the, or, you know, the Scar. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that they were significantly influenced by the Cocteau Twins, and that particular chorus guitar sound is something that they use throughout their discography. I think that here, though, it just doesn't... Maybe it's just the weaker songs that make that production more annoying hmm. i don't know doesn't yeah i don't know i'm not bothered by it whatsoever i'd rather listen to this than most cocteau twin records you know yeah i mean there's that benefit 
I like Cocteau Twins, too. I don't mean that to sound like I don't like them, but their records tend to be too long and too kind of, like, dreamy. Like, just, there is a strong... I feel like the bass work on this record is, like, the secret driving force for this album. Like, it's definitely, like, that's the skeleton that everything else is hanging on to as the song progresses. I think there's, like, a New Order influence on the bass work on this record that maybe some of the other shoegaze bands weren't really weren't really doing. Maybe Ride. But Ride also had a lot of that baggy Manchester stuff on that record, too. So... I did find uh, there was an interview that Lush did on 120 Minutes on MTV, and uh, the guy doing the interview, they asked, uh, I think it was, yeah, Mickey was on the show, and they were uh, were asked, like, why they chose to work with Robin Guthrie, and she said it's because Robin knew all the good restaurants in London, (laughs) and and they won't use him again because he brought them to a restaurant they didn't like. (laughs) She, um... She had the worst energy in that interview. <laughs> she was not feeling that at all. Didn't want to answer questions and very just like, hmm. And it's funny because then I found interviews that they did that same year. She's much more upbeat and more talkative and more willing to give. So my guess is she was just thrown off by that, by that VJ or whatever. You want. He's some, I don't know. He was one of those type that like asks questions in an accusatory way. Mm-hmm. He was like, you worked with Robin Guthrie again. He's your producer now, right? Like, you're just going to keep working with him. And so she's like, what? I don't know. He seemed like the type of interview who was, like, trying to put words into her mouth. Yeah. She must not have liked that. And at one point she, because it's an interview with the guy who plays bass with them later. I think it's Tom or Phil, Phil King. And uh, she, at one point, is like, you answer this one. Like, because he wasn't really answering much. But. That being said, uh, Steve, this is Steve Rippon's last record with Lush. He left the band because he wanted to move to Dublin and write a book, <laughs> and uh, which never happened. I think the book never came out, so I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, he was replaced for the next record and the tw- and the following tour. 
the record sold well. It reached number seven on the UK album charts. For Love, which was one of the singles, was their first top 40 charting single. There's a couple videos for this this record. There's Nothing Natural, For Love, and Super Blast all have videos, which I watched all three of them. And I didn't realize that, like, oh, all of the bands made the same video back then. It's just, like, them standing in front of a Kmart photo center background and just lots of, like, zooms in. Just a lot of moving camera work. It's very strange. Just style. like a, a swaying light bulb. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the Super Blast video is a live video, and it's all black and white. I, I found another clip of them playing For Love live on the Dennis Miller show when he had a talk show. <laughs> uh, that guy. Uh, and so this record got them a spot on the 1992 Lollapalooza festival tour, which Lush does not seem like a Lollapalooza band. Uh, that's the Lollapalooza with like Ice-T and, and Susie and the Banshees, right? Is it? I got apparently uh, what's his name Perry Farrell like specifically requested them to play. Let's see if I can find <laughs> that one. That is Red Hot Chili Peppers, Ministry, Ice Cube, Soundgarden, Jesus and Mary Chain, Pearl Jam, and Lush. Um, then there's some side stage. Yeah, to, which the side stages wouldn't have been on the tour. Right, they would have been specific, specific to to those shows, but. Uh, what's the one with 91 is the one with Body Count and Susie. <laughs> Fishbone, Violet Thumbs, Rollin Band, Rollins Band, Butthole Surfers, Body Count, Nine Inch Nails, Living Color, Susie and the Banshees, Jane's Addiction. That's a good show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is. even the 92 one would be uh, Lush, Jesus and Mary Chain, Soundgarden, Ice Cube. Ministry in 92 would be kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Maybe even Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, in 92. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I believe, uh, you know, if I guess there's the... Uh, and see Flea's wiener, but... Yeah. And if you go to the Central Florida Fairgrounds one, that's the <laughs> one That's the one that looks like it has the most of a side stage. You could then see Cypress Hill, House of Pain, Seaweed, Seam. That's a weird show. A lot of rap on there, too. I didn't realize Lollapalooza was, actually had as much rap on it as it did. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Raging Against the Machine were only at Irving Meadows. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd go to the 92 Lollapalooza. Sure. So there's actually a lot of footage of them playing, too, around this time. So they did a really big push in the States. They did a lot more, I think, too, than a lot of their contemporaries, especially in the States. I was curious about what 480 was doing in 92. And, you know, they're they're doing just the type of bands they always work with. Throwing Muses, Belly... The Breeders have an EP called Safari. There's a Pale Saints record. I guess if we're looking at the records that came out on 4AD, the most Im- the most important record, for better or worse, uh, is Red House Painters' Down Colorful Hill. You know, Mark Kozelik is a piece of shit, but, you know, uh, important yeah. record for the time <clears throat> and the future. Yeah, but, you know, now I don't have to force myself to listen to those Red no, House no, Painters' no. records. <laughs> No. Off the hook on those. <laughs> Tried. It's fine. I'm re- I'm I'm including it just purely context. So. <clears throat> um, there's other people in those ba- in that band. <laughs> they worked hard, but you know, yeah, maybe Lush probably. I don't know how well that record did compared to this one, sales wise. I could see that record being more important retroactively. You know, one of those records. 
but Lush like sold a lot. So yeah, like uh, speaking going... of, I was gonna say speaking of 480, this album cover is like so quintessentially 480. <laughs> yeah, I have that in my notes too. So ugly as hell. <laughs> yeah, the art and uh, the art and design was by Vaughn Oliver in his studio V23. Uh, he has done tons of albums for 480 basically like every 480 record for like 10 years he had something to do with the artwork for um you know including you know modern english is after the snow pretty much the entire pixies discography but especially doolittle and surfer rosa the breeders you know even going outside of 480 like he did some bonnie vare and tv on the radio so like he did a lot of stuff uh he died in 2019 but very long career just doing artwork and they all kind of have like, oh yeah, that's his style, mm-hmm. very I, much. I don't think they're. I don't think all of his covers are bad, but yeah, like, all, like all of this. There's so much 4AD stuff that's just like, what is that? <laughs> Why are there brackets? <laughs> it is my favorite style of 90s artwork, though. I love like that weird. It's just like kind of abstract, but not really anything in particular. It's not deep. I don't know. It's a style of artwork that I just... It, it's You see it and you go, that's a 90s album cover. Yeah. I feel like most 90s records, you can look at their covers and go, that came from the 90s. A lot of strong tracks on the record, though. You know, the big singles, of course. Um, but I also really enjoyed the song Laura, Closer Towards the End, and Take. Yeah, there are, there are some re- great songs on here. Um, Tiny Smiles... Yeah, really like Tiny Smiles. I loved that song. Um, Untogether is really good. Really interesting one on kind of like on the back half, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, For Love, Super Blast, those are, those are classic songs. Um, I, I think one of the things that I, I do really appreciate about this record, it does kind of reward re-listening. Uh, I think you get more out of the things that you like, that I liked about it. I got more out of on coming back to them. Um, I think that the highs, the highs of the record can be better appreciated. Um, but I do think the down, the other side of it is that the lows are not necessarily more skippable, but like maybe if you were listening to this in your car and you were like, I don't have time to listen to this whole record. So I'm just going to listen to the songs I really like. It could become a, a skippable record. Uh, I just feel like songs like um, Covert and Ocean, which are kind of early in the record, don't have such discernible hooks, and it's really easy to have that kind of slow dive effect of just losing focus. Yeah, I mean, I'd say those are probably some of the weaker tracks, you know, and then like Fantasy. Fantasy is one that I kind of zoned out on. Yeah. I had to kind of like refocus myself. Yeah. it's also a little long. It's in the 40 minutes range, but I mean, that's shoegaze. That's not really anything. Shoe- yeah. Shoegaze in the CD era. I mean, <laughs> 40 minutes is actually, four, I don't know. I think it's like on the 48 minutes maybe is how long it is. Yeah, it's about 48. The final track, I was, that was, I was definitely done when we got to Monochrome. Luckily, Take and Blara were, were good enough to kind of like push that final wave, but... Yeah, Monochrome, I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to clock out on this one. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a really good there's a really good sequence of songs um, kind of in 
in the middle for love super last and untogether um for love it being more of the the more mid-tempo but poppy uh kind of like a standard lush song and then super blast being the upbeat a little more post-punky song uh and then untogether has does something really unique rhythmically that is it's kind of the most unique song on the record i feel like and it's got a great hook like it's just really really enjoyable to listen to and kind of bob your head too so that sequence to me was really really impressive and and sucked me back into the record It starts strong with the first three tracks, dips down with Covert Notion, dips back up with For Love, through Untogether. The fantasy's kind of weak, but then like Take and Laura are fun again, and the last track is slow. So it's, yeah, it's, I would probably cut Fantasy. And I, I mean, I don't know how long that song is in particular, but it might have made it like go a little quicker. I don't know. Fantasy is four and a half minutes and Monochrome is five minutes. Yeah. So the, some of the longest songs are... I mean, Nothing Natural is like almost six minute song, and it's a good song. Yeah, and it was a single. Yeah, I, even in my notes, I wrote long song, but doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I always have to note when a really long song doesn't bother me that it's that long. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember checking my phone. I was like, "How many songs have I listened to?" I thought I was only on track two. I feel like I've been listening to this record for ten minutes. Well, Nothing Natural too has this little little bridge. Yeah, that like makes it feel like a different song. Yeah. It's got some like little bongos or like just like djembe like, you know, <laughs> type things going on there. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a really good record that uh does a pretty good job with sequencing by like hiding some of the weaker moments, but I'm a cut the fat type person, so I would have just chopped them, but who knows? Maybe there was way more material too. I know they had a bunch of EPs leading up to this one with a lot of different tracks that were not on the album, but some of these songs were on those EPs and singles. UK does things weird, especially during that time period. With sing, their singles are like almost as important as the albums, if not more so. Uh, I, I pulled up the the kind of the numbers on some of the different sources. So on Spotify, this 
so Spotify and Last FM actually kind of match up uh, with this being the most popular record and For Love being the most popular song. But in the top ten, the only other one from this record on there is Nothing Natural. Um, on Radio Music, they're the odd one out on this one. So that on that one, this is the second most popular album and the second highest rated behind Split, which is the second LP. What do they do different on the later records? Do you know? I think Split is just a better batch of songs. And yeah, it doesn't have that overwhelmingly like Robin Guthrie production. Yeah, they used a different producer for that record. You know, the influence is still there, but it's not it's not literally his his gear reproducing those sounds. So <laughs> <clears throat> I think it stands a little more on its own feet and and I think yeah, I think they're just better as a band overall and the songs are better and uh so yeah, they would go on to release a couple more records. Steve Rippon left after this one. Um Chris Acklin died in 1996, so that ended the band. Uh, Emma did a band called Sing Sing after this, and Mickey is in a band called Peroshka now. Uh, and they reunited for a couple shows. No Steve. Um, they went with the, the second bass player for those. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that's right. They used the drummer from Elastica to replace Chris. Um, but yeah, just a interesting band. Like, watching their footage of them live, they were... There was something a little more marketable about Lush than a lot of the other shoegaze bands. Like, Mickey's, like, red hair it was just very... She was always the one being interviewed. She's the one that kind of, like, popped off the stage, you know, with... It's that bright red, fake red hair, you know, mm-hmm. that I wasn't really remember seeing. You don't see a lot of bands from this time period with that kind of hair color, but that would... I feel like that would become a thing later, like the Shirley Mansons of the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I might. They they definitely took to the mainstream appeal and push and label you know stuff a little more than some of the other bands. But yeah. Any other thoughts about the record? Um, I mean, I would say that one of the things that I think makes Lush a really important band, um, and a band that is e- easy to come back to, is that at their weakest. I think they're stronger than almost any other big shoegaze band at their weakest. Um, I mean, I I can't, I haven't really listened to uh, Love Life, their Britpop record from 96. I have heard stuff from it, though, that I like. So that would would probably be the real test, I guess. Um, Well, I don't really like the more Britpop stuff that, like, ride and swerve driver would do later and so i would say that lush might be one of the more consistent classic shoegaze bands yeah i could see that i've definitely heard ride and swerve driver like reunion records by those bands where i was just like "Mm, okay it's just kind of dull oh yeah and the the reunion stuff like what i heard of lush's reunion stuff way better yeah yeah Though, I guess Ride and Swerve Driver have more records, too. They went a little longer, but yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, Lush must... Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Lush are more consistent. My Bloody Valentine just doesn't have enough, I think, to really be judged. But I don't know. I guess they have the same like amount of LPs, right? Aren't there like three My Bloody Valentine records, and that's it? And a bunch of EPs? Yeah. So they probably have the most comparable size discography. 
And then when you look at slow dive, you, I like the Mojave Three stuff better than a lot of the slow dive stuff, which in yeah. itself is kind of an extension of slow dive, even though it's technically a different band playing a different style of music. But yeah, and Oasis, you know, it's got the two ride guys <laughs> in it. <laughs> They're the rhythm section. <laughs> Oasis are a band that I I feel like I would like if I really got into them, but I just haven't pulled the trigger on like listening to their stuff. Like a whole album. I don't like the single stuff that I've heard enough to really make the effort. And just the whole Gallagher brother drama. I don't care. <laughs> I don't know. You might like some Supergrass. Maybe. I like Supergrass, actually. Yeah. A little bit mm-hmm. I've heard. I've heard a James record or two that I like. Yeah. There's a bunch of them. But I think that, I think that wraps up our My Bloody Valentine's Day. Um... What what Valentine's candy pairs what best with this record? <laughs> uh, red vines? I don't know. <laughs> Is that a Valentine's candy? candy? <laughs> it's not a Valentine's candy. Uh, <laughs> Valentine's candy's not good. <laughs> it it is weirdly for a candy holiday. It's like full of not great candies. Oh, candy hearts, not great. Yeah, chalk. You like eating? Do you like eating tums? Yeah. Candy um, necklaces. <laughs> the chocolate minefield. Like, ooh, cordial. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the sampler. Yeah, yeah. The heart the heart shaped box of Ah, I got the one with toothpaste in it. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. Why did Valentine I mean I guess just basic ass chocolate is kind of a thing on Valentine's Day too. Special dark. Like dark chocolates <laughs> and Ghirardellis and all those. <laughs> Easter. Surprisingly good candy. Good candy holiday. Yeah, Easter's a good one. Lots of peanut butters. Yeah. Ha- Halloween does too, but Halloween also uses a lot more like fruity candies. I don't know. Out of all the candy holidays. The bad the bad Halloween candy is the bad lush song of candy. <laughs> it's 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 okay. It's better than bad valentine's day candy (laughs) and christmas like there's just too much mint so like i don't i don't really care about candy canes yeah i don't know now we're ranking uh candy holidays (laughs) but there are four right the big four candy holidays the big four (laughs) all right everyone thank you so much for listening to the show uh we trailed off there at the end but hey if you made it an hour in you're good so but yeah all the social media stuff up top, go do that. And I don't know. I've been trying to think of like way starting to include more um, audio clips at the end of the show. Like we used to. So I have to think of some lush stuff. Maybe I'll just use something from an interview like that MTV interview, but thank you everyone. And we'll see you later. Um, you know what? Right now in, uh, in Britain, there's there's been the whole Britpop scene, and a lot of things have happened over the last year or so. You know, with Blur, of course, even though it's their third or fourth album now, actually fourth. Um, you know, I mean, there was a big... Uh, they, they got really huge over the last bunch of years. Oasis came out. Alaska, there were a ton of other bands. Do you find, how do you feel that affected Lush? Do you think that it had anything to do musically with the band? Um, because of that whole uh, pretty much straight-ahead pop thing. I mean, would you say that, that affected your writing at all? No. 